Welcome to the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. I'm Kyle Brost, a strategist and changemaker. I'm the CEO of Spark Policy Institute, founder and principal at Choice Strategy Group, and contributor to Forbes, Thrive Global, and Influencer. I lead at the intersection of strategy and impact, where I turn ordinary individuals into strategists and changemakers. Let's get started. Welcome to the Art of Strategic Reaction podcast. This is Kyle Brost. Today we have Greg Meyerson on with us. Uh, he's got a really cool story, uh, life journey in as a striped bass fisherman and uh, appearing on Shark Tank and launching uh, his own business and brand and experiences in how that's been. And so I'm excited to talk to Greg today and hear about that journey and where he's headed next. I know he's got a book that that's coming out, um, so we'll get a chance to talk a little bit about that and some of the other really cool, fun things that he's been doing. Welcome to the podcast, Greg. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So obviously, I just gave a really quick um, introduction to you. Do you mind to just giving us uh, you kind of your Reader's Digest version? <laughs> yeah, well, um, I mean, I'm a lifelong fisherman ever since I was a, a little kid. Um, you know, I, my, I pretty much came out of the womb with a fishing pole. <laughs> <laughs> So, so is it a family thing? You're, no, like your family was a big no, thing? A lot of the a lot of the story is in the book uh, that's coming out that I co-authored with Tim Gallagher called Born to Fish, and uh, a lot of the stories are in there. My family's actually from the city; they're all from Brooklyn, and um, they moved to the country in Connecticut and built a house and had me. And my brother, my brother was already uh, three, you know, three at the time, but he, I kind of grew up totally opposite of the whole family. I was uh, in the woods and in the rivers and trapping to make money to buy my first boat that I had at eight years old or probably seven or eight. And, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so you you, uh, you actually, at that young of an age, you were already kind of out there doing something to earn your own money and get what you wanted. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, the, you know, they're actually planning on making a movie about the whole story. Um, which is pretty cool. I mean, That's I, so cool. I never would have ever thought in a million years, like, you know, it just keeps compounding into this crazy stuff that I don't really, you know, look for. It just keeps coming my way. I mean, I, like you said, I'm an electrical inspector, you know, you know my job, I, I, I like what I do. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I still consider fishing and I want it to be my hobby, you know, and I, I, yeah. keep it, I try to keep it that way. You know, they say, you know, when your when your hobby becomes a job, you need a new hobby, right? But I don't. Well, yeah, <laughs> I don't want to. It just reminds me of uh, what they say about mechanics, right. right? Like if you're a mechanic, your your own cars never run because you don't want to do that, you know, outside of it. So it takes some of the glamour. Right. Away. Right. Yeah. It's like electricians have the worst electrical work in their houses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, well, so that's, a, that's actually really cool. So, I mean, at such a young age, you're just, you're doing stuff that's different than what your family's doing. You're setting some goals. What inspired you to want a boat, you know, at the age of eight? Well, yeah, that's a good question. My, my family uh, belonged to beach clubs and, and I, I fished a lot for trout in the streams behind my house and, and, uh, you know, I was really into fishing and uh, until a, a friend of, uh, a friend of mine's father took me striped bass fishing. I think I was six uh, on a sport boat he had, and he, we caught some big striped bass in the race. and And I got really crazy about the striped bass. I 
my family belonged to beach clubs and I was always around boats and I, I kind of, uh, drag netted bait and sold it at the docks for money when I was younger. And, and, um, always, you know, my life has always been on the water and, and, uh, you know, a boat was just, uh, something I had to have, you know, and, and I, I really started saving for it at a young age and had it, uh, you know, had it at a young age and, and had it in the ocean. I had my own slip. I rode my bicycle there every day. And, you know, my parents would, my parents would tell me not to go past the Brantford town dock, you know, and that's a harbor in, in Connecticut. But I, uh, I was always going as far out as I could at a really young age and got into a lot of trouble on the water with the Coast Guard and, and without any instruments and the fog and people complaining. And I, and a lot of those stories are in there. But I think yeah. the, whole twist, the whole twist in this whole story, uh, you know, my father was a bookie for the mob. He was a mobster. So no, serious. Yeah. So the, so, oh, my gosh. So this whole story isn't really just about fishing, you know, and I, I just yeah. got to I just got a great blurb from uh, Robert Kennedy Jr. on the book. Um, he was one of the first people to read it, and he really loves it. He thinks it's going to be, a, you know, a big deal in in, in uh, American fishing literature history. You know, I said, "Wow, that's a great, yeah. you know, that's a great compliment." So, you know, there's absolutely not- well. So, so there's a. I'm assuming, uh, you know, <laughs> I can't believe. So your dad's in the mob. Yeah. So you can't tell all the stories about how that boat was used then. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, you know, it, it, he was in there for a while, and uh, unfortunately, he was he was taken down by the feds. So, so he, uh, oh man, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of parts of the book that are hard to read. Um, you know, especially for, yeah, I'm sure. Especially for me, going, you know, the first time I got a reading copy of it and going back and reading it, it was uh, really emotional for me. You know, there's a lot of hard parts in there. I was learning disabled as a kid. Um, you know, my family, my, you know, my, my mother was a teacher. My brother went to Yale. My father was a mobster. It was a really weird situation. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. Man, yeah, it, sounds, it sounds, just sounds great. How old were you when your uh, father got taken by the FBI? I was, uh, I was a senior in high school. Yeah, just about ready to go. To oh, college. really? So it's, yeah, and it's yeah so I mean, that's like a vivid memory. There's, it's, there's some funny stories there because the, the uh, state, one of the state cops that was with the uh, FBI on the scene at the time of the arrest um, had watched me play in the state championship football game at UConn because his, his neighbor was the head coach of the opposite team. So they knew who I was coming to the house. You know, they knew that I was in there. And uh, there's a lot of funny stories that go along with it. It's not all horrible, you know. Uh, yeah. So, well, what's interesting is I, I honestly, I had no, I, you know, we had had a conversation a long time ago about a book I was writing yeah. and, and I had no idea about this aspect of it. That's insane. Right. Yeah. And then it just, you know, my father got really sick and he, uh, he, uh, died from Parkinson's disease really young. And, you know, that took a toll on me as a wow. young kid. And, uh, you know, my mother always took as best care as she could of him. And it left me a lot of freedom to go out and do what I wanted. You know, no one was watching what I was doing. So, you know, at a young age, I was I was uh, on my own, pretty much making my own money, um, doing various things, and and uh, yeah. So yeah. you know, uh, it kind of led to my entrepreneurial skills, kind of. Um, well, I love it. And what's so? I mean, striped bass is your thing. You mentioned early on that uh, you know when you were young, one of your friends' dad is that what you said took you out striped right. bass fishing, right? 
and, and so that's, I mean, you're not just, I, I've, obviously I think you fish for all sorts right. of stuff, but striped bass is like your fish that you go after, right? You know, I'm, I'm a bigger trout fisherman and fly fisherman uh, than, than striped bass. Um, you know, yeah. Really? But you hold all these records yeah. with striped yeah, bass, Yeah, I do. Right? Yeah. I mean, I love striped bass fishing, you know, and, and uh, I always figured ways to try to catch bigger and, and more fish and, you know, and I eventually I came into the rattlesinger design um, uh, kind of by accident. Um, you know, I, I went to the University of Rhode Island. I was a natural resource major there. Uh, it, that was a kind of a rough time in my life. I was I had I had problems with substance abuse and and uh, all kinds of other things going on. I, I was a, I started on the varsity football team. I went there on a full football scholarship, um, which. Uh, all went to went to crap pretty much because of the condition that I was in at the time, you know. So, um, you know, I spent a lot of time fishing at URI. I, I had scholarships all over the country to different schools, uh, but I went to URI because I could striper fish and it was on the water. Uh, you know, I, so I was I was an all American football player in high school and, and uh, all state and all that. So, I, and I was a big kid. I had a lot of scholarships, and um, you know, I, I passed them all up. To, to go where I could fish and you know it, that's all part of the you know that's all part of the book too but yeah. um well so there's a lot of crazy, crazy stories in oh that. I'm sure I can you know I can imagine and and we'll definitely get the listeners to uh find the book when it's available um so you get it you have this striped bass experience when you're younger and Tell us about how you, because you hold, well, so first off, what are the records that you hold for striped bass fishing or have held? Um, yeah, I, I, I had the catch and release length record, uh, for a while, which, um, fell to Frank Crescitelli, who's a friend of mine and, and we fished together. We were in the, uh, film, the, the striper documentary running the coast fishing together in a, in a pretty comical scene. Uh, in there, but, um, I, you know, I'm going to take that record back from Frank. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. You and, know, and so actually, <clears throat> you know, go ahead. Well, so at some point you, uh, and I can't remember the whole story, so you'll have to tell us about it, but you did some research about what striped bass like to eat, like the frequencies that they give off or something. And you used, you were able to get some tools and use your electrical background to, uh, create a lure. Well, this is how this, this is how that all went down. So, um, you know, striper fishing was big in my early twenties and teen, late teens, uh, something I did a lot of and working as an apprentice, uh, in the electrical union in New Haven, our shop was in the worst part of Fair Haven, which is in the middle of the crack epidemic in the late eighties and our yard where we did all the work, uh, you know, the shop was constant. They, the, they used it to smoke crack at night. So there was always vials all over the place. And my boss would be like, all right, pick these, you know, swear and pick these vials up. They're all over the parking lot. And so I had boxes of these vials and, you know, so, so anyway, going out every night and fishing in a, for striped bass drifting eels in about 90 feet of dark water. Um, I was wondering how these fish could find this eel, you know, in this, in the dark and they're nearsighted, uh, at night. And it was by smell. 
So I started studying the striped bass more like a science um, and, and realized that they, they, they have really terrible eyesight. They, the way they hunt is <clears throat> sound first, then smell. Then they use their eyes for the final attack, which is usually just getting at a couple feet in front of their face. So I eventually uh, built a jig at the shop to hold the 16-ounce sinkers we were using uh, to, to drift in the, in the race, which is a fast body of water uh, where the sound, Long Island Sound, meets the Atlantic Ocean. Um, so you need really heavy weight. So I was like, how – my friends would all go out on a boat together at night, and we would bet on each other, you know, like who whoever caught the biggest or the most or whatever got the money, uh -huh. you know. Yep. So I'm like, how can I get these fish to my bait instead of theirs, you know. And uh, so <laughs> I thought maybe if I put a little sound in my sinker and they would never see it and know what I was doing, it was the only way I could – it was the only place I could put a little sound where, where on the, on the three-way setup that I used drift and eels, that you wouldn't notice it. You couldn't just tie a rattle or, or something in there, you know, so I. Okay, so, so you wanted the advantage, but you didn't want them to know right. where that was coming from. So what I did was I, I put bearings in these vials that I, I, I had tons of in boxes, and I started drilling drilling the sinkers on a drill press in the shop, in the electrical shop, and and then I would uh, slip the, the, the rattle inside, which was really a glass vial with steel bearings, inside the sinkers and then tamp over the hole with the lead so it didn't look like anything different than any other sinker anybody else was using on board you know and <laughs> I, you know the first night i tried it i think i was 12 to 1 on everybody else's fish oh man they were coming to mine and not theirs you know um you're right so so eventually what started happening was i was starting to get really big fish and I was, I was using the thing to win money and charter boat pools. I was jumping on all the different charters down in the New London area and entering all the pools. So I'd get the fish for free, and I'd win a few hundred bucks a night, and I'd always catch the biggest or the most fish. On, and, you know, I was getting banned from one boat to the next. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, so eventually I started catching some giant fish, like 60, 70-pound striped bass. And, oh, um, wow. Yeah. So I wanted to figure, you know, like I went into it as a scientist, kind of, I, I dissected some of the biggest ones I've ever caught and they all had, they all had big lobster inside them. Oh, really? I mean, two pound or three pound whole lobsters in wow. there. So, so I, I was like, you know, what, what, why am I catching these big fish? I recorded, I took, I made a tank, I had a 200 gallon fish tank and I filled it with lobsters and. I use a hydrophone, which is a underwater microphone. Okay. And I recorded, okay. I record, I recorded the lobsters, uh, and I would fool around with them, and I would poke them with a hockey stick and piss <laughs> them off, and they would, they would start this buzzing sound. The microphone would pick it up, and and it would show uh, on the graph what uh, what the decibel range was. You know, you could have okay, you could get yeah. software with a hydrophone, plug it into your computer, or, or you know. I started right. to tweak the rattlesnake to what I found out was that the straight bass, the biggest ones were listening for lobster and lobster. When there's a predator around on a reef, make this 10, 10 ish decibel buzzing sound. I'm not going to say what the frequency is, but, um, so, so what I found out was the stripers are listening for these things. Right. And when there's a, so what I did was I recorded the, I recorded the rattlesnake, which was close 
it was close to the uh, decibel range of the lobster, and it was on the bottom. A lot of rattles in the fishing industry are just rattles, and they make noise. They're just noise. My sound is, you know, wasn't meant to be based on science, but it, or sounds in in nature. But eventually, I tweaked it more and more to get exactly to what those lobster sound buzzing sounds were. Yeah. Uh, so you know, the striped bass, the striped bass goes down there. It's looking around. When the tides slow down, the lobsters come out to feed because they could grab stuff more easily. You know, they have oven mitts. They can't, they can't grab food that's flying by them at six knots. So when the tide slows down, the food slows down, and they can eat more. They feed more. And that's when I, I threw my, uh, you know, uh, what do you call them? I would make a lot of uh, a digest. You know, I had a digest. I would always find that um, the big striped bass that I caught were around one knot or less of current. And that's when the lobsters came. I started to put it all together. So now, so now I'm figuring out, you know, the moon phases that slow down. The tides are the slowest during first quarter moons, and and uh, the, so you have a longer window to fish, and the lobsters feed more during those times. The striped bass feed more during those times, and using my thing just attracted the biggest ones to my bait. And we, you know, when they got to my bait, there wasn't a lobster there, but there was an eel and you know, they're not going to pass that up. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty much, uh, you know, how it worked. And I used it for years to, to, uh, win, <laughs> win all kinds of party boat pools and <laughs> stuff like that. And then I, you know, after that was not, no longer an option. I, I, uh, I went to the striper cup on the water magazine striper cup and, uh, entered into that. That's like a 10,000, fisherman tournament that goes on from Maine to New Jersey or so every year. Holy and, cow. and I, wow. Yeah. I, I won that in 2010 with three 60 pound plus fish. One was 69 pounds and I Dang. won the angler. Of the Yeah. And then came back in 2011 and won it again, but, but also broke the world record for the all tackle uh, with the 82 pounder. And then from then on, it was, uh, you know, things were kind of, Things were kind of crazy. People yeah. wanted to know. People wanted to know how. You know. Oh, I'm how sure. You, do, you know, and and so I, I, you know, I didn't really want to give up my my secret weapon. You know, <laughs> but then, <laughs> right. you know, it it wasn't the rattlesnake wasn't made for a business. You know, it wasn't made to be sold, mass produced. You know, it was made for me, by me, to be used by yeah. me. Yeah. But right. um, you know, now now with the world record being caught. Uh, the opportunity to go to the trade shows and to sell whatever I wanted and they'd pay me to show up and speak. And, you know, why not, why not tell everybody what I'm using? You know, at that point I, you know, I filed for a, I went to UConn law school. I didn't have any money. And I, I said, uh, I told them what I had and they, they, they knew who I was. They were fishermen. So they helped me file the, uh, patent for it. And, uh, after that happened, you know, I, I still didn't really sell many. I, I didn't, I didn't try to mass produce it or, or anything like that. I sold a few at a few sh- uh, fish and trade shows a year. And um, Shark Tank, that's when Shark Tank came into the picture. They, they actually, they actually found my patent application, and and I got a call one day, 
Uh, I was directing traffic. Oh, really? So you, so you didn't, you didn't apply to no. go there. They actually reached out to you. Yes. Yes. Oh wow. So actually, yeah. I think that this whole there's something really cool about this whole story in that each piece you're building up to this, you know, kind of product and business. Right. But it's really it really is building up to it. It's not like you had this grand vision of the future and where you saw this product being. I mean, literally, you're trying to win bets against your friends. Yeah. You're testing something out. Right. You find that it's you know the right frequency and decibel range. You're doing more science or study about you know currents and and tides and those kind of things. And you're just constantly building onto it. And every time you're building onto it, these new opportunities surface, right? So it starts with, you know, beating your friends and then getting out on these charters and helping other people, you know, and, yeah. and beating the charters and winning money and tournaments. And then you get, you know, even more to these big tournaments, Fisher, you know, uh, tackler of the year, uh, world records. And now you've got shark tank giving you a call. Right, right, right. And you know, they, I got so you were about to tell us how that call came in. Yeah, I was, I was uh, working at the DOT as an electrician at the time. Um, I was directing traffic. My friend was up on a lift at an intersection, and it was freezing cold. I got a, a, a call, and I looked, and it was from uh, Hollywood, California. You know, and I'm like, I don't really know anybody there. So I answered it, and, uh, <laughs> and the lady said, you know, there's we're, we're from Shark Tank, and uh, we found her patent application. What does your product do? I said, oh, it tracks fish. It's a fish call. And uh, she's like, well, really? You know, uh, what's your company? I said, yeah, this is the World Record Striper Company. I, I, I named it after a fish I caught, the World Record Striped Bass. And, and they were like, really? You know, so they said, oh, wow, that's interesting. You know, maybe you'll hear back from us. I, you know, so I put the phone back in. I was telling my friend, I, go, I just got a call from Shark Tank. And we're, he's laughing. He's like, yeah, right. You know, and then that night, <laughs> that night they called me back and uh, they were, they wanted to know more. And the more that I told them, the more interested they got. And then it just led to the producers calling me and, and going over a possible pitch. And then, you know, they flew me out to, to Hollywood and, and, uh, and I, uh, I, I got, I got on the show and, uh, it turned out to be a real uh, success. You know, it was a hit. They, the producers were really happy. They thought it was really entertaining, you know, and, um, it was a terrifying yeah. experience. I mean, I'm walking into the tank is not, is a hostile environment for sure. You know? And it, well, yeah. And you only see part of it, right? I mean, yeah, in the show, yeah, I mean, they, what were you don't have to give me the exact numbers, but roughly what were your sales when that? I really didn't have came? any sales. I think I sold five thousand of them over the course of a couple of years, just at at, at three or four different tackle shows uh, in New Jersey. At the Somerset show, I sold some, and at the uh, Hartford show, I sold a few. But I never sold them in any tackle shops or anything like that. You know, so I, I really. And and were you running this business full time, or were you oh, still no. working? And, and you kind of no, had yeah. this on the side. You know, I'm, an, I'm an electrical inspector and an electrician and the union, and you know, this is just a hobby of mine. So, you know, we did it. We did it on the side, and and uh, still do. You know, this isn't. You know, I, I'm at work right now. I'm an, <laughs> so <laughs> I love it. You know, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's you know, I always want to. I mean, if somebody else wants to buy this company and take this product, which I have, a, I've had people, you know, ask other companies, ask about it and, and want samples. And I've, I've sent them out and, and, uh, you know, I'd be willing to let them take it over and mass produce it because it's a product in the market that you know, the fishing industry is huge. And, and this product is one of a kind, you know, that's yeah. not, it's not a version. It's not a version of 20 different 
things that you see when you walk into a into Cabela's or whatever. It, it, it's the only one of its kind. And I own the, the trademarks and the patents to it. So there's a lot of money to be made if a company wants to take it. You know, me, I don't want to spend all day in my basement making these things and shipping them out. You know, I want <laughs> that to go doesn't fishing. sound fun to you, huh? <laughs> no. You know, and, and kind of the deal with me and Mark Cuban was he was going to handle all that. And 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 uh, Mr. Wonderful was trying to make an offer. And Mark Cuban didn't want to, he didn't want me to hear the offer. He wanted the product. And so I said, all right. You know, I, I made the deal with Mark. And he had another company that was going to, uh, you know, do the work. But they turns out, you know, turned out not to be able to do it for some reason. And I wound up having to do it. And uh, so I'm kind of. You know, I don't, I don't push it. I don't promote it. I don't use any advertising. I don't pay for any advertising. I just use social media and word of mouth that is making it spread, you know. And, nice. of course, re-airing on MSNBC, Shark Tank, for the 20-something time since we've aired in May 1st of 2015 helps, you know. <laughs> yeah, every time, no every doubt. Time. Well, so what was... I mean, you talked about th- that it was a hostile environment. What was that actual experience like? I mean, this came out of nowhere for you with the whole Shark Tank experience. You know, it's not, it wasn't even something on your mind and people are giving you a call. So right. now you're in Hollywood. What right. is that experience like? Yeah. Uh, well, it's a good barroom discussion. You know, yeah, I was on that show. <laughs> but no, the experience, uh, it was a great experience. You know, I was... You know, you know, here I am, this guy that's been is known as a fisherman, a pretty good one. You know, some people might say, oh, you know, the guy's actually pretty cool. I didn't want to walk into Shark Tank in front of 10 million people in the country and have them make me look like an idiot. That was my right. Main, that was my main priority. You know what I mean? <laughs> so you're just like, I don't care what happens as long as I don't look dumb coming out of this. Full defense mode, you know, and and <laughs> along with a pitch, you know. And, uh-huh. and uh, they edited out a lot of the stuff that I said. I hope, hopefully, someday they have like a uh, a Shark Tank uh, uh, part where they show a lot of the the people that went on and they, the stuff that they edited out because you know I I really got into some sessions with a few of them. You know. Uh, oh really? Well, so how long were you in the? I mean, the the episode obviously only shows I don't know like ten minutes total yeah, of yeah, it shows each person. Ten minutes of about an hour. You're in there. Okay, so you're in there for an hour. So there's all sorts of you know discussions going. On. I'm sure you get into some relatively nitty gritty details oh, yeah. that they don't show on the. Yeah, yeah, um, and it gets it gets pretty funny sometimes. Um, but definitely, uh, you, when you walk in there, you're you're staring them down for the first thirty seconds. You know, no, they don't let you say anything. You just have to look at each other, and and uh, it, you know, it's kind of intimidating. You know. But uh, all right. Yeah. They got to capture some good film role there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and when those doors open up, um, there's, there's a couple of union workers with hard hats on that open those doors for you. You don't see. And I was standing there waiting to walk in and, and I'm like, you guys union. They're like, yeah, I go, I'm a union electrician. You know, they're, they fist pumped me and, 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 uh, they're like, you can do it, man. You know, they pumped me up. They're like, you can do this. This, this is your, this is your time, brother. You know? And I'm like, all right, I got all fired up you know, and I walked in. Um, did you? But, uh, I mean, the oh, day and the, the the days the days leading up to it, I laid around in a hotel room in in Hollywood, you know, uh, with with a bleeding ulcer, oh, you know, because I was so worried about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, so uh, 
you ended up cutting a deal with Mark Cuban, right? Right. And what was the deal that you guys worked out on the show? Uh, it wound up being $80,000 for 33% of the company. And is that still in place? Does he still have 33% yes. of the company? Okay. Yeah. Have, have you found that it was, I mean, outside of the exposure of, you know, getting to be in front of millions of people. And like you said, the, the episodes aired, you know, 20 times now outside yeah. of that piece, have you found that the partnership with Mark has been like, has he given you other resources and, and do you guys talk on the phone? I mean, what does that interaction look like? Yeah. I mean, uh, actually I, I've talked to him and he emails me, um, but it, it, you know, it's been really a, a great business experience learning from Mark Cuban about business, you know, and, and his lawyers and business developers and, and people that I deal with down at Mark Cuban companies, you know, um, they, you know, I have a lot of resources at my fingertips, you know, so, so the company really wasn't even a company when I walked into Shark Tank and, and they kind of helped me brand it, uh, build packaging, uh, you know, um, a bunch of different things, uh, help build a website, uh, you know, and anything I need them really to, to do, they'll, they'll help me do, you know? So, um, and plus, you know, Mark, the way he sets it up is he, he breaks the companies up into shares and now you know how many shares you own and you can sell off some if people want to buy into it, you know? So I, you know, so, so, this company, you know, and the companies he buys, I think he builds up to, he sets up to be sold later, you know, uh -huh. and, and, uh, and then he builds them up. So they're worth more than he paid for it. And, and then right. he's probably either unload his parts, his shares or keep some, or hopefully something happens where it could be a huge deal. And, you know, so, so how often do you have contact with Mark at this point? Uh, I'd say probably once a month right now. Okay. Yeah. What, uh, what would something, I mean, how's your, what's he like as a person? I mean, the interactions that you have, <laughs> I mean, he, he, he's just somebody that nobody else, right. I mean, we, yeah. we're all looking at him like this billionaire Mavs owner, right? And, yeah. No, he's a pretty cool guy. You know, he's, he's, uh, he'll send a, you can tell he's a workaholic because I'll get a, I'll get a, an email from him at three in the morning and it's like maybe seven words and, and there's no capital. <laughs> okay. You know, he'll be like, right. you know, straight at it, you know, and right. want to know. And I'll be like, all right, yeah, I, you know, I, I could use a little help with this. And the next day I'll get a call from 10 people, you know? Oh, yeah. really? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, so awesome. I, I just think that that's so cool. I love the whole storyline of starting, just trying to win bets, you know, then finding ways to use kind of science and your tools that you had to make it and improve it and just constantly building up to the next thing. I, I just, you know, in my business and with my employees, I constantly tell them to iterate. I'm like, I, and I said this on the last episode that I'm a 50% guy. I'm like, if, if we think the idea is 50% there, let's right. do it. And then we'll iterate and work the rest of it out along the way. Yeah. And so I love that because yours is just an example of that. Right. Right. Well, so then when, when did the, uh, the book come into play? I mean, how did that come about? Yeah. So, so, um, a buddy of mine that I fish with, um, Walter Anderson, he was a CEO of parade magazine for years, really smart guy. He was, a uh, he was in Vietnam, you know, he, he fishes the same area that I fish. We were fishing partners a lot. Um, 
So he's written books. He's a you know really sharp guy, my mentor, and I'm lucky to have him. And and so he was like, you know, I'm going to mention this to uh, to some people I know, you know, and tell them, ask them what they think. And 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 then I got a call from a literary agency in Manhattan. Uh, Russ Galen called me, and he became my agent. Uh, and hired Tim Gallagher, who's a best-selling author and written a bunch of books, to write the book. Um, so that was right around 2012. Okay. And then Tim ran into a family. Tim had a family tragedy. Uh, you know, after we signed the contract, and it was it was really horrible what happened. And they wanted to get somebody else to write it. I didn't want anybody else to write it. You know, I'd already met him a few times. I liked him. Um. So he disappeared for a while. A few years went by. You know, he he was you know, uh, dealing with that. And then he came to me strong after that. He was like, you know, I want to do this. Let's do this. And I, so we, we started, you know, he slept on my couch. You know, he's a 60 something year old professor at Cornell and he's sleeping on my couch <laughs> in my, my little, uh, little shack and I live in with a dog, you know, and, the, and he's sleeping with a dog. He really sleeps, so. Yeah. Oh, so this guy, you know, we, we went through a lot together. He saved my life. Um, like literally saved your life? There. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, he did. He saved my life. Well, you got to give me a little bit yeah. more than so, that. You um, can't just, I mean, we can save some for the book, <laughs> but you got to give me a little more than just he saved my life. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I was, I got, uh, I got really sick and, and while he was there and, and I would have died that night if he didn't get me to the hospital. Um, and he didn't even know where we were driving when it happened. And it, you know, it turns out I had, uh, I had a bad problem going on and, and, you know, he, when I went unconscious, found his way to Yale New Haven hospital from the middle of nowhere, just in time. Wow. So yeah, you know, and, and a lot of crazy stuff. We've been through a lot of fishing tournaments together and, 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 uh, and he spent, we just spent a lot of time together writing this book. So then, you know, when it was, when it was over, um, he had a pretty good overview. You know, the book wasn't even written yet. Right. The book. This was just the overview part. You know. So then Russ Galen said, "All right, I, I, you know, I, I set up some appointments with, uh, with publishers. You know, um, your first ones with, you know, whoever. You know. So we went out and started going to publishing companies, and Houghton Mifflin, which is a huge publishing company in, in Boston, uh-huh. uh huh. In the in the meeting, they jumped all over it. You know, they were like, "This is great." You know, we want Greg to co-author it with you, and uh, we want it. And they offered us up a, a really big, um, what do you call it? Uh, advance. Advance, right? They offered a big advance, and I was like, "Wow!" And this is this is this is big time. You know, it was starting to hit me that this could be a big deal. And and Russ Galen, who is my agent, was really happy about it, and he he sells all of his uh, books that, or all the books that he has written are made to, to, for him to sell the movie rights. Oh, okay. So, so, you know, the people in Hollywood that he talks to really, you know, really enjoy this, the story. And, and, and I think the movie rights will be sold whether they make a movie or not. I don't know. I, I would hope, but, um, the book comes out, you know, it's, it's, it's finished. It comes out in May, uh, because my shark tank contract goes to May 1st. And once that ex- once that's ex- you know ex- expired, I have a lot of opportunities. I was gonna, I you know, uh, I had the opportunity to get on a fishing show when Tread Barda, the best and worst of Tread Barda show, when he got paralyzed, 
uh, they asked me to be the guy to fill in, and I couldn't. I was still stuck in that um, Shark Tank contract. Oh, okay. So the, yeah, interesting. I, I, I signed a deal to um, I signed a deal to do a show with these producers from that show, a different show, uh, and that that's going to start happening this year. Um, awesome. Make, yeah, making the pilot episode, and uh, you know the and, book will be out. <laughs> Greg, what's so – and through all of this stuff, I mean, launching a company, getting on Shark Tank, writing a book, now you're talking about you know movies and TV series. Through all of this, you still work your day job. Yeah. Yeah, I'm here right now. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know that I've ever had it – I don't know that I've ever had anybody else in the show that <laughs> that's taken this course. I just <laughs> – I don't know if anybody's going to believe that, you're, that you have all of this other stuff and yet you're still showing up you know, for your day job. Yeah, no, I mean, I like what I do. Uh, it's my job, you know, and the other stuff is just gravy that falls into place on its own. <laughs> I don't know that anybody else would ever say that. I mean, honestly, you're you're staring at your, you know, I don't know if you got like shift work or an eight to five or what it is, but you're staring at your day job and then you've got television series and books and you're like that. Oh, that's just, that's just gravy. That's just, that's just hobby stuff. Yeah. A lot of people say the same thing. I love thing. it. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, uh, they, they're like, what are you doing? You know, I'm like, this is, this is my job. You know, when, when the day's over, I want to go fishing, <laughs> not, not work at fishing all day. You know, so uh, yeah, it's you know, it's a oh, hobby. Man. It's a hobby that became a business on its own, <laughs> not by me trying, really. Right. Well, that's and that's what's so uh, that's what's so fascinating about this story is literally. <laughs> You're, it's, you're not even, you know, there's not a, there's not this grand plan that you're putting all these pieces together. You're just capturing opportunities as they surface and, and yeah. doing with them what you feel like. I know, you know, I get, I get so many calls a day from different people. Uh, they want to do this book or this thing or write this article or, or, uh, you know, get on a podcast, of, or- all, all kinds of different things. Yeah. And, you know, and I really, I, I don't even, you know, I, I just randomly pick one or two here and there and and uh um you know you hit me up a few times and and you know so i i i, I was i, I kind of like the podcast thing it's 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 quick and painless <laughs> yeah you know yeah so yeah i mean we 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 got into nascar too i mean that was uh when, when shark tank aired you know we we did pretty well and i i, I sold a little piece of the company to uh some so to another company and I made some money and I, I, I jumped into the NASCAR sponsorship and wound up uh, I wound up with the world record striper company car racing against all the big shots down in Dover and Charlotte and Sprint Cup, you know, and I was in the pit crew there. So you had your own you had your own car, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. We wound up crashing into Jimmy Johnson in our first race and catching on fire. Oh my god. <laughs> Serious. Were you there and you were there for that? Oh yeah. We were like the low rent team out there, you know. Basically we were an advertiser. <laughs> we were no, I got I got us the sponsorship. I got the whole car, but the car, you know, it's a billboard. That's about it. You know, uh-huh. you know the owners of the team. The owners of the team had me in their trailer down in in Dover. They're like, don't expect to win. You know, <laughs> that's not gonna happen. You know, we're we're running on practice tires from Jimmy Johnson that he lets us have. You know, uh-huh. so I'm like, so well, I'm gonna win. Like like cousin Bobby, <laughs> you know, from <laughs> Ricky Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, Reed Sorensen was the driver. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, yeah. So, <laughs> I I just can't. I mean, every time that you tell something new, 
I'm just baffled yeah. by, by these experiences that you're having. I mean, now we're talking about NASCARs. <laughs> and it's just all this gump. like, <laughs> that's so true. I, I mean, gump of fishing. <laughs> that, uh, that's got to be, I mean, what's the book called? That's got to be the name of the book, right? Born to Fish. Born to Fish. All right. So it's not the Forrest Gump of fishing. I, you know, I didn't really have much of a say with the with the title. You know, that was pretty much Houghton Mifflin. They wanted that, and I, I, I think it's a good title. You know, yeah. I'm sure yeah, there's some trade. Like I'm sure there's some trademark issues using the Forrest Gump of fishing. You know. <laughs> yeah, probably. But I like I like that anyway. And so you say the book comes out in May. It'll be in print. People can actually pick it up in May sometime. You can pre-order it now on Amazon, um, but. It'll be in bookstores all over the country and in Bass Pros and Cabela's and L.L. Beans and stuff like that. So, yeah. Oh, cool. Well, so we'll put we'll uh, I'll, I'll find it on Amazon. We'll put a link uh, yeah. in when we launch when we release the podcast. We'll put a link directly to pre-order on Amazon. Perfect. I can't imagine any listeners hearing what you're telling us all of this stuff and not wanting to pick up the book. I mean, literally, I'm going to buy like 20 copies. <laughs> That'd be great. Help the cause. You know, that, that way, maybe yeah, absolutely. I can fish more if, it, if it's, a <laughs> uh, you know what I want? I want to track what, what's next. I mean, literally I'm so baffled by all of these random experiences, how they're all adding up. And it just makes me wonder like, what the heck is Greg going to be doing in two years? You know? Well, you know, I, I turn my seminars into stand up comedy routines because there's nothing okay. more boring than talking about fishing other than fishing. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, you know, I think maybe I'll go into stand-up comedy or something stupid like that. I don't know. I think you should. <laughs> yeah, I think you've got tons of fodder for it. Maybe. I don't know. I just So, I I I I've, I have one other question that's really been on my mind as we've been talking about this and it's just because it's so it's such a different life from me. And and so, you know, we've been kind of joking and hopefully this doesn't uh take the flames out of the hat, but it, it, I it just have to ask it before the podcast is up. You want to go um, fishing? Did you know? <laughs> huh? You want to go fishing? I do want to go fishing. <laughs> I do. No, I'm waiting for the invite. You got a question. You're, you're welcome. We we do some trips uh, you know, to Block Island once a week during the summer. You could always jump on. All right. I'm going to hold you to yeah. that. Yeah, but no, go ahead. Um. The, the question that I have, it's totally random and we're switching gears here, but I just have to ask it before we're, we're done because I'm so curious about it. Uh, did you know that your dad was in the mob? <laughs> yeah, that was kind of – Like was that something – I mean was it just part of the family? Like you just knew? It was kind of hard to, uh, to hide that, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did know. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know? I mean from, from a young age or it, like it was just something you grew up knowing oh, or was it something that at some stage you were like you found I out, you know, like parents sit you down and like, hey, we've got something oh, to tell no. you, Greg. It was just something you realized, you know, and I had a lot of uncles that were named Moose and Rocco and, and uh, you know, <laughs> Gosh. Joey Fingers and, uh, you know, all these guys, oh, you know, so, um, you know, as I got older, I kind of. I, I, be, I became a collection man for, for that business with my father um, to that's that, you know, most kids have a job, like, you know, after school, they, uh, you know, go to the supermarket and bag groceries or something. I was, I was collecting money for the mob. That was part of my, that was oh, my, man. my, uh, my job as, as a high school student <laughs> until the time. Until what? Until, until the time where I took about $30,000 from him and took off to our house in Florida for a, 
for a vacation in my grandmother's car at 16. Um, that was a dangerous situation I got myself into. <laughs> so that, oh, that I can only imagine. You, all, you, so you, <laughs> that's all in the in the book. Uh, Jeez, yeah. right? You got like the craziest stories. I can't believe yeah. this. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But so it wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like a conversation that was had. It wasn't like the family was like, yeah, this is what we do. It was just, you just saw it and grew up with it. So you just kind of figured it out over time. Right, right. My, my mother wasn't happy about it. She she liked the lifestyle, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, always yeah. have that conflict. Yeah, I think my brother was went. Was it ever a Oh, go ahead. I think my brother went to Yale with, uh, with, with bags of cash that my father paid for his tuition with. <laughs> so, to, so to pay tuition everybody else is paying some you know writing a check and yeah. you guys are just walking in with duffel bags <laughs> my, my brother was a great athlete too you know he uh, pitched the team usa in the olympics he, he pitched for yale oh wow yeah and then he wound up going to ocs and uh went into the military as an officer went right to the gulf war and did a bunch of tours there oh, geez yeah yeah so there's a you know uh it was crazy in our house growing up with with us two, we were both linebackers and football and baseball players. And, and uh, we practiced wrestling moves on each other and tore the whole place down all the time. You know, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, pretty wild. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. I, I literally, I, I'm, I'm excited to catch the book. I, I've got to get more about these stories uh, that, you're, <laughs> that you're telling me. Yeah. There's a lot in there. I left out. Well, Greg, uh, yeah, oh, I, I can only imagine. I mean, we've we've only had a few minutes here, and uh, and I'm still wondering about all this stuff. Yeah. Well, I uh, do you have any? We're going to wrap yeah. up here, uh, but do you have any? Uh, do you have any words of wisdom? Any advice that you would give listeners? I mean, you've had these incredible experiences. You've learned some stuff along the way. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, do what's do what's passionate to you, and and if you you know if you if you really want to think outside the box to try to get better at things, uh, in whatever hobby you're in. Um, there, there could be a lot of money in that. If you, if, if you figure it out, figure something out, you know, I mean, sometimes, uh, things happen by luck, you know, and I think a lot of the things that I did were just fell into place by luck. Um, and I made a lot of moves that I didn't know were the right moves at the time, like, you know, filing for trademarks and having a company that I started own the trademarks, which made the company worth more money. I didn't know that. You know, I just said, oh, yeah, let the, you know, just things like that. And and uh, and try not to uh, ruin your hobby by making it a job, you know, don't take it too serious. Always keep it a keep your hobbies, your hobbies, you know. I like it. I, I like the idea of not keeping it too serious, uh, you know, and. I, for me, the big takeaway here is, you know, forget how everybody thinks you should be living your life. Just do, you know, what, what comes natural and passionate to you. I mean, there are plenty of people that could be hearing your story and think, man, what an idiot. Why is he still working his job? Why isn't he you know, doing all this other stuff? Uh, but you're just doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I love that. I love that. You know, when I get home tonight, I'll, I'll, go in and make a bunch of boxes and ship a bunch of products out and, and, uh, you know, from web orders that I get every day. And, uh, you know, a good idea is going to be found out eventually by everyone, whether you, you know, spend a lot of time pushing it or not, it just may take longer. And if, and if, and if you own the rights to that idea, then, you know, eventually 
someone big is going to come along and buy those from you, take it from you. I like it. And you know, there's no need to kill yourself over it. Some people do. I'm not. I'm not too interested in that. You know, I, I want to be on the water and not in the basement making rattle sinkers. Yeah. Well, I love it. I love the the sentiment there and just the flow of your story, how you just you're you're doing what you want to do and you're doing it your own way. You're not worrying about how other people think it should be done. I love that. The other piece I love is just how uh, you've just constantly built up all of these little pieces here and there and, and you're looking for and you're catching opportunities that are you know, really in the periphery, right? They're not things that are right in front of you, right. but they're stuff that's just surfacing on the periphery and you're keeping an eye out and capturing those opportunities while not letting go of those kind of daily passions and things that you really want to do. Right, right, right. Yeah, I and, I, and I have a daughter and I like too, you know. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Is she, she going yeah, so, uh, to be the next champ? She's going to show you up when it comes to striped bass? <laughs> She's won a few tournaments already. She's going to be 11. Yeah. Oh, really? Awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Greg, um, I, we'll make sure that people can uh, can access the book. I love that it's coming out. I'm excited to read it myself. Um, any last words here before we wrap up? No, just thanks for the time. I appreciate it. And uh, I look forward to actually hearing this. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'll, I'll definitely let you know. Thanks so much, Greg, for your time. I'm going to hold you to uh, to the offer to go out on a boat with you one of these days. You should. All right. Thanks again, Greg. Have a good one. All right, Kyle. Bye. Bye.